This is the Marsh and Matt Show with Marshall Kellner and Matt Gallivan. Hello, everybody. Welcome to this week's edition of the Marsh and Matt Show. Marshall Kellner, Matt Gallivan here with you. You'll hear more from Matt in a second. But this is finally a happier show after the first Vikings win of the season. Uh, pretty dominant second half, and they pulled away from Seattle 30-17. to 17. Uh, First win over Russell Wilson, Mike Zimmer's first win over uh, Pete Carroll and the Seattle Seahawks. It was all good, and uh, we're going to get into that in a moment here with our guest this week, Jack Day. Jack Day, that's his first and last name. It's, uh, it, it rolls off the tongue. Uh, he is with iHeartMedia, and uh, many of you may know his work from KFAN.com. He writes about the Minnesota Vikings for KFAN.com. Also, he hosts a podcast himself, uh, which you can uh, which you can check out. Uh, he writes for the uh, for the Vikings Wire, and then he co-hosts the State of the Purple podcast, um, which is on three times a week. So um, you can get plenty of Jack Day, and uh, we are going to give you some of him right now. Here is that interview recorded earlier this week. All right, welcome to this week's edition of the Marsh and Matt Show. Marshall Kellner, Matt Gallivan here, and we are joined by a guest for this week, and it is Jack Day. He is with iHeartMedia, a local sales coordinator, but uh, more uh, in tune with what we're talking about today. He writes about the Vikings for KFAN.com, used to work for the Vikings a little bit. So uh, we will get into all of that, but first, uh, let's welcome him in. Uh, thanks, Jack, for joining us. Yeah, I appreciate you guys having me on. I'm looking forward to this is going to be my third third show of the week already now, and I have two more following this, or three more if you count the post game on Sunday. But you can never really talk enough Vikings in my world, so any chance I get, I'm going to take the opportunity. So thanks for having me on. Yeah, of course. Uh, you know, it's it's funny you say that. The the Vikings are obviously the top dog in town. We're not just a Vikings podcast, but during the Viking season, especially. If, there's no twins baseball. We're going to talk a lot of Vikings. Um, and there's, there's so many uh, Vikings podcasts, Vikings content. Uh, it's just incredible the, the appetite people have for this team. And they listen to multiple of them. So hopefully uh, they, they're tuning into this one. But we, before we get into the heavy Vikings talk, wanted to, we do this with all our guests here, uh, wanted to just get a better idea who, who you are, introduce you to people who, who may not be familiar with your work. Uh, so you grew up in, in Hastings, you were just telling us off the air, and then uh, all the way up to UMD. But uh, talk about uh, what was it like growing up in Hastings and then uh, tell us kind of how you got to where you are. Yeah, I've bounced all over the place within the state, I should say. I didn't travel outside of the state like you guys did, but grew up in Hastings, played football and baseball my entire life, played baseball all the way through high school, football all the way through high school, played a little bit of town ball the summer after I think it was the summer after I graduated high school and it was just a lot of baseball for to be playing at like the town ball level. So I ended up stopping that, but still play some softball. So that's fun. But yeah, I went up to Duluth, did internships and in just about every career, journalism career field that you can think of. Tried out the TV side of things with uh, the NBC affiliate in Duluth, KBGR. Then I went from there to the next, like I was, I was a super senior. So I went for four and a half years and my, like my last semester of school, I was interning for the Vikings and interning for the Duluth news tribune. So I was a journalism major from university of Minnesota, Duluth, got a cool experience, 
interning at the Duluth News Tribune and then obviously like working for the Vikings. That was kind of my dream as a kid, kind of growing up. I always wanted to be around football, still trying to work around football to this day. But it was super cool. My kind of claim for fame is I was in the tunnel during the Minneapolis Miracle. So I got pushed back by mm-hmm. Stefan Diggs and that entire little scrum of guys. So that was that was an amazing experience. Obviously, we don't need to bring up what happened the following week in Philadelphia. But yeah, that's kind of a little bit about myself. Now, like you said, I'm working as a local sales coordinator at iHeart, do a lot of the KFN beat stuff for just Vikings. I do dip my toes a little bit in like if there's a press release that uh, they need help with, with wild and twins and that kind of stuff. But football has always kind of been my, my true pride and joy and following this Vikings football team as much of a struggle as it been, has been throughout my 26 short, 26 year old life. It's been, it's been entertaining. It's been a struggle and I'm sure you, it's been a struggle just being a Minnesota sports fan in general, not even just the Vikings fan and Vikings podcaster writer, but that is a little bit about myself. Don't need to go into too much detail here, but still trying to, like I said, work, get into that industry full-time working around football or really anything sports related for the most part. Yeah. A um, couple things there that, that piqued my interest. So you, you said during your last semester in school, you were, also interning for the Vikings at the time. So were you taking online classes or were you actually like commuting? Down, no, I was commuting. So I, I interned, I think I was with the Vikings for about a year and a half. And the first, so I technically had like two internships. I was a game day PR intern. So I was on game days. So I would, every time there was a home game, I would come back down to the cities. It was, it was kind of a long day because it would turn into a Sunday where especially if it was like a three o'clock game or a late game, I wouldn't leave the stadium until like two, three in the morning. And then I'd drive back up to Duluth and be at my, oh, I shouldn't say be at my Monday morning class necessarily. I tried to be at most of my classes that Monday, but sometimes it was a little bit tougher than others. But yeah, so that's how that started. And then I actually, I met Lester Bagley, who's the executive, executive vice president of public affairs he was kind of working on a project more so kind of moving. This was when they were moving from Eden Prairie to Egan. So it was a cool experience kind of helping transition him from Eden Prairie to Egan, got into a project didn't end up finishing it, but we were working on a project kind of, I was interviewing him recording and transcribing essentially the last 20, 25 years for the Minnesota Vikings going from the change in ownership, getting the new stadium, getting the new facility, getting the Super Bowl here. So it was a really cool experience. And one I'll leave the leave you with this with my coolest story from that kind of when I was doing that internship was sitting I was organizing Super Bowl tickets for the Wilfs and it was just quiet it was kind of a ghost town I don't even know if Lester was in or not but Bud Grant was in the office right next door to me and I was sitting there and everyone knows this name obviously Sid Hartman but I was sitting there the door was open and I was dead quiet and all of a sudden he just came in and screamed hey at me and scared the living hell out of me but I turned around and I had a like two minute conversation with Sid and then he turned around and as I'm sorting these these uh, credentials out for the Wilfs and their family and friends for the Super Bowl, I got to listen to Sid Hartman interview Bud Grant for like 30 mm. minutes to an hour and it was just like, it was just sitting there. I was like, this is not many people will ever get this chance and I was just sitting there in awe of like the amount of stories. They were going into like his basketball playing days, stuff from Philly, like just cool experience to be able to hear that that's sweet that's something you'll you'll always remember yes. and, and you just need to be in the right place at the right time I, I have I have a few stories like that uh, from minor league baseball where you know I just happened to be in the right room at the right time and 
you just thank your lucky stars and, and sit back and listen. Um, but that had to be, that had to be awesome. Another claim to fame, in addition to just you were in the tunnel for the Minneapolis miracle, but you you broke the Danielle Hunter story. Um, the the Sheldon Richardson story. Oh, the Sheldon Richardson story. Sheldon, yeah. yeah, yeah, the Sheldon Richardson story. Um, which was around the, the same time as Danielle coming back to. So this was, is, was, I think it was the same day, actually. I think yeah. it was the morning, and like I checked in with my source, and like that's what was like everything was going on. He was like oh. kind of slid slid me a freebie under the rug and said, "Oh, hey, by the way, Sheldon Richardson's in town." I was like, "Oh, I'll, I like was my first time ever breaking a story, so I was like checked with him like six, seven times. Like, are you sure you're okay with me doing this? And like, yeah, that was that whole week was a crazy experience. Yeah, you, like you said, it's always uh, entertaining on that on that beat, but some weeks more so than others, and that was that was uh, crazy. But then you went on the power trip, and this is why I wanted to talk with you about this because, you know, it's one thing to break a story. I interned for the power trip after my freshman year at USC, and they I was not expecting to go on the air, especially day one, but you know I'm sitting there with Chris Hockey, and they turned my mic on, and you know. Back then, the superstar was still there, and he starts peppering me with questions. And I had been on the air at USC, but not on KFAN, you know, this station I grew up listening to. What what was it like to to go on there? Because it, it's intimidating if you haven't been on there before. Yeah, it was crazy, and I kind of got eased into it. So that whole week, it was the – I think I, the story happened on a Monday, if I'm remembering correctly. And then that Tuesday morning – like I was remember I'd have people calling me and texting me like the night before saying, Hey, guardsy's on talking about you during bumper to bumper. So I was like, Oh, that's pretty cool. And then I kind of went to bed. Like, I was like, cool. This was an awesome day. And I woke up, my phone was going nuts. I had friends, family, just blowing my phone up and it's like six in the morning and I work from home still. So I, I take advantage of as much sleep as I possibly can. And I'm not up at six o'clock in the morning when these guys are already a couple cups of coffee in. So I wake up from, I think I answered was my stepdad called me and he's like, are you listening to the radio? I was like, mumble. I was like, I'm, I'm still in bed. No, I'm not listening to the radio. He's like, they're talking about you. They're trying to get you to call in. So I called in still half asleep. And then that was like the first time where I was like, still kind of nervous because at, during like when I called in, I couldn't hear anything. They like, you know who they are. They were hitting stuff on the button bar. I couldn't hear over the button bar. So they're like talking to me and I'm like, I can't hear anything that you guys are saying. Um, and then for the power trip comedy show. So AJ Mansour, obviously the guy who does initials every Friday morning, he's who I do most of my writing for. That's kind of how I got started doing that. And I went to the comedy show and I just went up to hockey and I was like, at, this was after the comedy show. And I went up and I shook his, shook his hand. I was like, Hey, I'm Jack. And he like kind of sat there and I was like, I'm Jack day. And he's just like, he said some explicit words that I'm not going to say on the podcast. <laughs> he's like, essentially said, shut up. And then the next morning I went in and sat in with the guys and it was pretty cool. Unfortunately, it was like, I'm hoping eventually I can get back on there when there's like actually Viking stuff to talk about. Cause it was kind of in the, I think the only story that morning that got brought up was, something Everson Griffin related where it was not, not where he was re-signing something about like the tweets that had resurfaced and stuff yeah. like that. So, but yeah, it's definitely, I mean, they're a great group of guys, but definitely a little bit intimidating for the first time, especially when you like look at what K fan is and what they've grown to be the beast that has mm. become. It's like, this is insane. And for the whole thing, not just being on air, but the whole bit where they had like a 20 minute video, like showing my desk because my desk literally looks like it's make fake. They were saying that Helverson 
made that like as a fake setup and it looks fake because all my stuff is at home right now. So like actually everything played out perfectly and yeah, it was, it was crazy, but it was, everyone was like, Oh my God, like, do you think they're making fun? He was like, no, this is awesome. Like I can take this yeah. all day. This is hilarious. So yeah, Chris is one of the nicest people I've ever met, not just in, in sports, just period. I mean, Hawks awesome. I still stayed in yes. touch with him and I entered there well over 10, probably close to 15 years ago now. Um, so yeah, he's, he's awesome. And, and just everybody there, PA, um, and I'm sure you've, you've had your interactions with him. He, he was right after my internship. So, you know, Garzi was the Garzi was his producer at the time. And, uh, and he came into the studio and then PA was there and I could go on about how he, he listened to my stuff after my freshman year at USC. This stuff was bad, bad stuff, but he took the time to uh, to listen to it. So th- those guys there, they they really uh, they're really a team. And if you if you've had any interaction with them, you know they they root for you wherever you whatever you end up doing, sports or not. So um, that's cool. Matt had a question for you. Well, first, Jack, did they did they give you a nickname? Because uh, I think this is a great opportunity to say Marshall's nickname when he was an internet K fan was uh, worthless. So hopefully you had a better nickname than that. I don't um, have a nickname. They they were the only thing that kind of circled around. So my Twitter handle is Jack underscore H underscore day. So there were people kind of thrown in there. I don't know if this necessarily got set on the air. If it, if it were to get set on the air, it may have because it's a power trip and I wouldn't put it past them. But everyone was saying that it stood for Hoff. So if you put it all together, you know what it sounds like. So that yeah. was kind of kind of the only thing that came out of that. I didn't get an actual, actual nickname, but no one, no one calls me Jack. And this has stemmed like way before K fan or anything like no one that I meet, it's kind of started more in college, I guess, but no one that I meet calls me Jack. Like instead of, I have like an anti nickname, they want to like, my name's too short. So I go by Jack day. Like that's what everyone calls me rather than just Jack. So I, I don't know why that is. They want to actually make it longer, but if it, I guess it has a ring to it. So I can't complain. Well, Jack day, I guess one quick question before we move to Vikings is, uh, you know, working in different mediums where you've had podcasting, you've done the writing, you've tried the TV. What, what do you like the most and sort of why, or what do you learn sort of by going through that path and trying the different mediums? So I think, I think I would put TV last because I can sit on deadlines for the most part. Like I shouldn't say TV, like more so like the videography stuff. Like I have a drone, like I love doing the video side of things, but just seeing how the pressure is handled and the amount, like I would, I would, uh, go out on a story with a reporter and they'd be get back like four 30 and they have to crank out editing by five o'clock and the amount of stress that's out that like I can handle the writing or I can sit and talk about sports, but just the editing side, like that kind of scared me away. I think writing has always been my true passion. Like that's what I originally started doing for K fan. I just started, like I told AJ or I met with AJ a couple months into working at iHeart and I was like, Hey, I can do some Viking stuff for you. And he said, yeah, send me your stuff that's how it started. Now I kind of have my own access for that. And we restarted the state of purple podcast. And now that's started with like a weekly podcast. And now it's up to three times a week during the season. So the podcasting and the writing side of things are probably my favorite. I don't have a ton of exposure. It's funny that we're just getting done talking about KFAN. I don't have a ton of like exposure with direct radio stuff. I mean, that's one side of the one side of things that I kind of want to start to see 
more like the production boards and learning that side of things because I've never done that. But to answer your question shortly, <laughs> um, probably writing and then podcasting, then those two kind of go together. But um, I'm not not the brightest when it comes to editing. Like if I have the time to do it, I can do it. But I like my writing, I edit myself and I can just read through it super quick. And I feel confident, whereas with video, it's a whole different ballgame. All right, let's get to the nitty gritty here. Uh, and we'll talk about the gritty, maybe, um, which was a great, a great call by, uh, great by PA. If you, if you, great moment. And then, and then PA saying JJ's doing the gritty and the Vikings, you know, nitty and gritty taking, taking the lead, you know, it was classic. Um, but let, let's talk about a few good things and then, and then a few concerns that, that at least I have in, in that. Matt may share, um, you know, going forward into this, into this Browns game and beyond the first good thing. I mean, you have to, you have to say is, is Kirk Cousins. I mean, Kirk Cousins has been just incredible. Um, and, and it's, it's, it's been amazing to watch. I mean, he was good in the Cincinnati game. I thought um, really good in Arizona and may have taken it to a whole new level in, in this Seattle game, just being at that game, whatever they threw at him, he responded. I mean, the, I think maybe the most impressive throw is that free rusher coming at him on third down and he gets it off to, to KJ Osborne. Um, but all three touchdowns were really impressive throws. Um, just seems like he's playing so fast and, and so confident right now. What do you, what do you see as the main difference from this Kirk Cousins compared to what we've seen before well I brought it up earlier today on my show that or my show this afternoon and I just think there just seems to be a little bit more of an edge to Kirk Cousins this year like we I saw it I was out at training camp this is probably just a week in the training camp I don't even know if the pads were on or not but Kirk threw a touchdown to Thielen and he was going up and like slapping all of his offensive linemen on the helmet and like just going berserk like a whole nother level of crazy and I know you've seen like the you like that stuff and that circulates and sometimes it almost feels forced for Kirk and he said it best after this game in his press conference his swag is having absolutely no swag at all and like that's something you have to appreciate but at the same time you got to see like that leadership and you have to see when, when you watch like Tom Brady plays, he just has a different fire to him. And that's something that you see a lot of these young kids that are coming in the league. And even if some of them are struggling, I still think a lot of them have that edge because we know what Kirk Cousins is. Kirk Cousins with time, he's one of the most accurate passers in the entire National Football League. But he's just had that like some of those moments where he'll get pressure in his face and he'll trip over his own feet. And it's that's what's frustrating. And that's kind of where I think the the side of the I don't know how to put that, but like I've always been a Kirk. I'll start by saying this. I've always been a Kirk Cousins truther. I've been a backer since day one. And the other side of that, like they just like he hasn't been able to avoid pressure and get outside of the pocket as well. But you just said it best too. that throw to KJ Osborne. That's something we haven't seen Kirk Cousins do and no. he did that and that throw he he i think he said it right after the game he said he didn't they asked did you see kj osborne and he said no i i saw a little blur of purple and i just threw it and for not even being able to fully see him with pressure in his face off of his back foot to be able to deliver that throw in by the by the way it's not garbage time for the people out there that are no. <laughs> only think Kirk Cousins is a garbage time stat pattern but that was like almost pretty much the dagger to the game in my eyes because they were able to continue to get some time off the clock and I think they went down and kicked a field goal if I recall so 
he's just playing a little bit differently. I think, like I said, he's always been able to put up numbers. He's always been more accurate. And I think some of this stems too from which this sounds crazy even saying this, but kind of the rise of this Vikings offensive line that I wasn't fully expecting. Like Ali Udo was the highest graded offensive lineman against Seattle last weekend with, I think it was like an 80.3 overall PFF grade or something like that. And to be able to say that about the right guard position over what Vikings fans have had to endure over the last three years is special. And then you have Brian O'Neill right next to him who still hasn't allowed a pressure. And Oh, by the way, their shiny new toy is still kind of waiting to be shown to the world and Christian Derrissaw whenever he's ready to go. So it's a weird feeling being excited slash somewhat confident about this offensive line. Cause it's not something that, Vikings fans are used to but I think the two kind of go hand in hand and I think it allows Kirk Cousins to realize he might have a little bit more time and he doesn't have to be thinking quite as much and he can just go out and actually play football that that throw to KJ if that was made by Rodgers or Brady or Russell Wilson or take Mahomes. your pick, Patrick Mahomes that would be on ESPN on loop all week and, and, and I mean in fairness Kirk hasn't won at that at that level he hasn't um but it's it's amazing like all that he does and then and then still people find a way they were finding a way to blame him in the arizona game and it's like man if if the 37 yard field goal is made we're talking about a game-winning drive uh that he let him on so uh, Marshall, it's played flawless football it, it's funny you mentioned those people because uh, Dustin Baker had a really good tweet where it was passer rating since the start of 2019. Russell Wilson, 107.7. Aaron Rodgers, 107.6. Kirk Cousins, 107.5. Patrick Mahomes, 107.4. Now, all those guys have obviously won Super Bowls it being a difference, but, I mean, that's pretty good. That's not just, you know, a three-game sample size. Do you think that this will finally – shut up some of the Kirk Cousins haters, Jack? I think it kind of started has to a little bit. And I think some of the haters too, like I think a lot of the people that have been haters are like they're Vikings fans too. And they want him to succeed. It's not that they're rooting against the guy, although sometimes it does feel like people are rooting against him. But I think it's just frustrating to see because there's still people out there that'll say, well, they're one and two and Teddy Bridgewater is three and oh, and I love Teddy Bridgewater. Don't get me wrong. Like I wish all the success in the world for him. Like he was, that was one of the loudest moments I've ever heard inside of a stadium when he came back against Cincinnati in 2017 and case was getting everyone fired up. But no, I, I don't, it's, it's tough because there's still people out there that look at wins and stuff, but then you have to look at the numbers and there, they haven't had, a defense like they had in 2017 since they like Kirk Cousins is looked at as a missing piece and it doesn't really work like that in football. Like you can't just bring in one guy and it's not going to fix your team. It's still a team game and the defense has fallen off since that, since that year. And I remember I was at the actually Marshall, you'll like this. I was at the Coliseum for the Rams game in 2018. So was I 38, 30, 38, 31, I think was the final score. And it was just so frustrating. And that's kind of continued throughout his tenure here in Minnesota. It's like Kirk Cousins goes out and lights up a defense and the defense like can't get a stop to save their lives. They've never been able to like play all around football in a game. And it's, it's still kind of carried into 2021. I'm hopeful that the defense can kind of figure things out because I think Mike Zimmer might be in a little bit of trouble if that defense can't turn things around because they, if the defense can't figure out how to start getting some stops, 
it's just going to be another wasted year of a top 10 top potential top five offense. And that's just frustrating when you have a defensive minded head coach. Yeah. They're there to that point. The offense is third right now. The defense is 28th. Um, so I, I was just thinking about this today with the way that I think this offense is going to continue to even get better, potentially, like you mentioned with Darisaw, you, you have Kenny Wangu coming back. They can add him as a little gadget piece. Um, obviously, Dalvin should be back maybe as early as this week. Um, and the way Kirk is so confident, Osborne continues to develop Conklin. I mean, I, I, the offense could be top five, like you said, top three, maybe even. If the defense is just average and can stop the run, I think, you know, the sky's the limit because Mike Zimmer on third down, and this is another positive I was going to talk to you about. Mike Zimmer on third down is as good as ever. I mean, look what he did in the second half. Now, the complimentary football aspect of it was really good. I mean, I think the offense being on the field so much helped the defense in large part in that second half. It was the first drive lasted like almost 10 minutes. Um, but Zim is great on third down. They've got to find a way to stop the run on, on, on first and second down. Uh, do, how, how big, and we've talked a lot about Anthony Barr so far on this short, on this podcast that hasn't been around too long. What, what is your view of what his impact could mean to the run defense in particular? I think it's huge because you know what Anthony Barr is. This is, I can, I can bring up that Rams game again, because I remember sitting there and Anthony Barr was lined up looking straight at like Robert Woods and Cooper cup. There's two times where he got burnt by Cooper cup and Robert Woods. And it's like sitting there from the stands, never coach football outside of coaching like fifth and sixth graders. I can see where at the time Jared Goff was going to go because that is a mismatch. Like Anthony Barr was, has never been great in coverage. That's not his strong suit. And I think this year, even more so with the Vikings and Mike Zimmer starting to show some three, four looks, I'm very excited to get Anthony Barr back on the football field because I think what we've learned through the first three games is both Nick Vigil. We know Eric Hendricks is elite. He's an elite coverage linebacker. Nick Vigil has proven to be good enough there and they're always in nickel. So they're out like it, whether than, or not it's Anthony Barr. I think Anthony Barr is obviously going to kick Nick Vigil out of play calling duties. That's his job, in my opinion. Getting him back there, I think in a 3-4 look, you can really focus him in on doing what he was going to do with the Jets when he signed with them, whenever that was, 2019, 2018, prior to doing the, pulling that stint and coming back to Minnesota. And that was more of a traditional 3-4 defense. We're not, I don't think the Vikings are necessarily going to switch over to that to a full capacity, but just giving him some looks where it's like, all your focus is here is you either you go wherever the ball goes, you go, you go after the running back or you go and you rush after the quarterback. And I think that's where Anthony Barr, that's where his game is at his best. I don't want to see him trying to run stride for stride with Robert Woods ever again, because that's not, it's not a recipe for success. So I think getting him back is huge in the run support because you have Anthony Barr and Eric Kendricks and, and people last year were saying, well, Eric Wilson is just this, just as good as Anthony Barr. That's nonsense. In my oh. opinion, Anthony oh. Barr <laughs> is a freak athlete that will at the very least be a stud for you and run support and you will make tackles. And that's something this team is kind of missing right now. I think Nick Vigil has stepped in admirably, but getting Anthony Barr back is going to be massive for this defense. I mean, Zim, Zim's not a fool. He, he, 
did whatever it took to keep Anthony Barr on yes. the scene multiple times. So like to say, to say that, oh, Eric Wilson or oh, Nick Vigil is just going to fill in. No, they're fine, but they're not going to be Anthony Barr. And, and like I said, I think stopping the run is the total key for this, for this defense. It sounds cliche, but with how good Zim is on third down, look at the pressure packages they put together in the second half on Russell Wilson. I mean, Everson Griffin, like three times, was running free at Russell Wilson. Yeah, that was a fun. He 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 just provides a spark that this team oh. desperately lacked last year. And I I said this earlier today too. That spin move, the entire state of Minnesota yes. missed that Everson Griffin spin move. And that's another thing. Going back to Anthony Barr, being Russell Wilson under center at or in shotgun formation, whatever they were in, most having Eric Kendricks and Anthony Barr both in the A gaps looks a lot more intimidating than having Nick Vigil and Eric Kendricks. And that's not a knock on Nick Vigil at all, because Nick Vigil has been one of the stars of this defense over the first three weeks. But it's just it's so important getting Anthony Barr back. And I'm not like I said, I'm not here for that nonsense where people are saying, well, he's injury prone, like we should just get rid of him. No, he's a key piece to what Zimmer wants this defense to be. And I think fans will start to see that once he gets back fully healthy. Yeah, and they could really use him this week with that running attack. Cleveland has two very good physical backs, and you know Stefanski is going to come in here trying to dagger his his former team. A couple quickies to close. I'll have one. Matt has one. Um, There's a few concerns I have, and I want you to rank these, okay? And, well, there's three, and then you can add a fourth, all right? Here, Here they are. Bashad Breland. And not just Bashad Breland, but the second corner spot in general, because that, you know, even despite Cam Dantzler's stupid tweet, my God, um, they may throw him out there uh, to, to replace Breland if, he's, if he continues to struggle. The second thing would be Rashad Hill and the left tackle spot, because we don't know when Darisaw is going to come back and how good he'll be right away. And then the third would be the run D, which I think personally I'm most optimistic about. Uh, because of Barr's return, and I think Pierce and Tomlinson should get some things together. Um, rank those three and then add a fourth if you want. I think Breland is number one for me and just that cornerback two spot altogether. Maybe maybe just even like the cornerback depth altogether because Patrick Peterson, Mike Zimmer said all throughout training camp that Patrick Peterson is by far the best cornerback on this roster. And he's had some nice plays, but he's also had some – some bad plays. I know Jamar Chase kind of put him in a blender week one, which I was not expecting to see. And Jamar Chase had been balling out. I think that was kind of something that got blown up throughout training camp that he had dropping issues. Like people were like prior to Justin Jefferson blowing up last year, like Jamar Chase was by far the better wide receiver out of college. And then Jefferson explodes on the scene and is a superstar as well. But I think that's number one, because I don't know where the dancer situation is going to get to either. San Francisco was reaching out about a possible trade for him. I think it was the game or the week after he got healthy scratched. And then he goes out and tweets something like that. And I just don't see this Vikings front office and Mike Zimmer in particular is someone that's going to want to play games with a cornerback on social media. So I I don't know where that's going to go. I know Zimmer said after the game that they saw it and he was aware and he was going to talk to him. Hopefully they can change that around. I don't know if it's, I don't know. There's some issues about him not being willing to play on special teams too. And that's just, if you want to find your spot on this roster, like you bring in a veteran like Breland who is supposed to be better, but you can, if you start balling out on special teams, 
why would you not? I mean, I think if he were like willing and would have not done whatever he did to kind of light a fire under Mike Zimmer, we would have already seen Cameron Dancer on the field. So I think there's more behind the scenes there that we don't really know about. That's just kind of me guessing, but it just seems like I don't take Mike Zimmer as a guy that's going to put up with stuff like that. Um, and then I would put the left tackle situation because I mean, the Vikings offensive line has graded out fairly well. Rashad Hill has still kind of been the weak link to that spot. And we don't know what we're going to get in Christian Derrissaw. Like that, yes, he was a first-round pick. I graded that pick extremely high because I was like, they traded back, and now they have Kellen Mond and they have Wyatt Davis because they traded back for Christian Derrissaw. It's kind of it's kind of sucks for Vikings fans when you see all the great stats for Rashawn Slater and Sewell in Detroit. But I think they're hungry to kind of see what they have at that position because Riley Reef was like, he wasn't, he was probably one of the bright spots that offensive line last year. I know that's not really hard to say, um, but then I'm with you with the third one being the run defense. I think that's something that's going to get figured out when Barr gets healthy, that's going to help a ton. And I think, I mean, I, I think uh, Nick Olson is who tweeted something out. Delvin Tomlinson only had like 20 snaps against Seattle and he, had, he put up a highlight reel of plays and it was just getting pressure on Russell Wilson and making stuffs in the run game. Him and Michael Pierce, I think, can clog that up. Everson Griffin, I wouldn't be shocked if we start seeing more reps out of him because I think we've seen DJ Wanham was kind of a story throughout training camp and everyone was saying, hey, DJ Wanham's having a great camp. That hasn't shown on film quite yet. And if Everson Griffin, Everson Griffin was always extremely solid in the run game as well. It wasn't just that spin move and the nastiness he had when rushing the passer. He was good in the run game too. The Neil Hunter is the same exact way. So I think that's all going to gel together. I think it, I mean, excuse me, Mike Zimmer with the, the preseason kind of eased these guys into this defense. So I thought, I think the first three weeks, I'm not saying they were preseason games, obviously, because it's very frustrating that this team could very easily be three and oh, and they're one and two but I still think they have a long way of go long way to go kind of gelling together. And I'll give you a fourth concern just because the last time I said anything positive about them was the week before the Arizona game, because everyone was like, Hey, at least special teams was fantastic in week one against Cincinnati. And everyone was just raving about the special teams. Like hooray, the Vikings no longer have special teams issues. And then we get to week two in Arizona and Greg Joseph misses a 37 yard field goal. So I have said on every show that I've done, I, I, I do two different Vikings podcasts that I'm, I can't say anything positive about the Vikings kicking situation because I don't want to jinx anything anymore. So I'm going to, I'm going to put that there. Greg Joseph had a good game against Seattle, but it's still just fairly unknown about him. Like he hasn't, I think it was like 2018 or 2019 the last time he was kicking for a team and like I said, I just I, I'm not ready to say anything positive about that unit because we saw what happened against Arizona. Unless you have Justin Tucker as your kicker, I feel like the special teams for Vikings fans should always be on that yes. list. Yeah, yeah. And I, I am happy with the way Zim handled it. I thought he yes. handled it much better this time. I, You know, 2018 with Daniel Carlson, I could understand why he was pissed off because they were coming off an NFC title game and you can't have a concern at kicker. If you're a Super Bowl contender, you just can't. So yeah. And now Dan is just winning yeah. AFC special teams player yeah. of the week and drilling kicks left yeah. and right for the Raiders. And, so that's and, and good for, and good for him, you know? Um, but I think he handled Joseph. Well, Joseph has a huge leg. The punter has been phenomenal. Uh, Barry has done a really nice job. Harrison Hand hopefully comes back and becomes that special teams ace, kind of we saw week one. So 
Uh, but we've taken too much of your time, uh, Jack or Jack Day, whatever whatever uh, you want to go by. Uh, you can follow him at on Twitter, Jack underscore H underscore Day, and uh, follow all his work there with uh, KFAN.com and, and Viking Swire. Check him out on his podcast, and uh, he'll be uh, tweeting out everything uh, you want to know about the Vikings. Thanks so much uh, for joining us, and uh, talk to you soon, Jack. Yeah, I appreciate you guys having me on. I had a good time, and hopefully we can do it again down the road. All right, sounds good. See ya. All right, thank you again to Jack Day for joining us. Excellent uh, guest. I have to say, our uh, our guest booking has been very, very good with three for three on uh, on guests, uh, LaBelle Neal, Mike Wabshaw, and now Jack Day. And uh, we're going to continue getting mostly Vikings guests, um, certainly as long as uh, they are contending this year and uh, hopefully stacking up some wins as, uh, as Kirk Cousins said after the game that they are going to try to do. And uh, that's a good point to start, Matt, uh, Kirk Cousins. And we started there with Jack as well. That's topic eight right now for this team, I think, um, because he is playing at an extremely, extremely high level, helped out by really good offensive line play these last couple of weeks. Um, it's just been really fun to watch and it's the best Kirk Cousins has ever played. No doubt about it. You know, there have been times to rightly criticize Kirk or have heartburn about his performance in particular at the beginning of last season. Um, you know, but when he, when we signed him, people said he needed to win on Monday night. And then he figured out how to win on Monday night. He said, we said he needed to win bigger games and he's found ways to win bigger games, uh, including, you know, leading us against the saints in the playoffs and we said he needed to be more consistent, and he's he's doing that, um, and not just do it in garbage time. And uh, you know, playing like a top five quarterback, and that's what he is doing right now. So he is answering all the calls, and he's done all that while having multiple offensive uh, coordinators and instability there, and different play callings. He's done it, uh, and and continued to get better with a porous offensive line. And I think we're finally seeing the potential was always there. Even the leadership, he's apparently stepping up on those intangibles now, but we're finally giving him the offensive line he deserves and needs and consistency with the offensive play calling uh, to play to his strengths. And once you do that and you get the swagger like he has, he's now improvising, which we've never seen before. In That's ways it that right there. Yep. takes it to a whole nother level, yeah. um, which is incredible. Yeah, that's the next thing I was going to touch on because we didn't get to get into everything with Jack. We covered the gamma, but, uh, but there were some things that I wanted to get into with you because the improvisational skills, which who knew that those were there? I mean, I didn't. I knew he could move outside the pocket. And when the play that's called doesn't break down, he's one of the best. But the improvisational skills were not there for whatever reason, partly due to the offensive line. But to Kirk's credit, he's taken a bit of his game each and every year and improved it. And last year, it was the running. I think he was much more willing to take off. You, you heard people say he was trying to run for one first down per game. Um, it's probably not going to be that. But he had some rushing touchdowns in Washington, much more than he's had here. Now, he didn't have Dalvin Cook, so that, that, that may not, you know, ever equal what he did in Washington with rushing touchdowns, but he showed an ability to take off last year. 
Now this year, he's not only taken off, as we saw in Arizona, about a 30-yard run. He outrushed Kyler Murray, by the way, in Arizona. Could have won a lot of money on that bet. Wow. <laughs> How about that? And that's that's a credit to the Vikings defense in part two. But, but also Kirk. And, and it's not just the running though. It's not just, oh, he sees man coverage, he sees a lane. Okay. It's the improvisational skills. The touchdown to JJ in Arizona was total Kirk improvisation. The play broke down. He rolled out to the left, extended the play, and threw JJ over. And then this week, he did it multiple times. And, and I mean, certainly the throw everyone talks about, we talked about it to KJ Osborne. I mean, that a couple of years ago, is a sack or an interception, throwing it into the feet of the offensive lineman. It's not a completion. And, and, and he's taken his game to a different level. He's playing so fast, so confident. And that leads me into my next point. Clint Kubiak, one of the concerns entering the year, and I'm not saying it's totally alleviated. He needs to prove it throughout the course of the season. But he has been on a roll, man. I mean, he... Everything he does is catching the opposition off guard. You saw Seattle. I was at the game. They were talking to each other, yelling at each other. They didn't know what was coming. Uh, and whether it's screen game to Alexander Madison, who wasn't known for his pass-catching abilities, whether it's just allowing Kirk more freedom at the line to throw it out to the hot receiver when they're playing off and get an easy six, seven yards, which is essentially like a run. Everything, look what he did with Conklin this week, up the seam, in the end zone. Everything he's touching right now is turning to gold. And, uh, man, like I said, if the defense just plays average, this offense, it seems weird to say with a Mike Zimmer team, this offense can take them a long, long way. Yes. And the other thing is the offense was way more, even though it was long drives, way more interesting than we've ever seen from a Vikings offense. It's, you know, we've normally thought of them as, all right, they're a traditional West Coast offense and very predictable. It's going to be run, run, pass. Um, and what, we, what you've seen, I think, from Kubiak, from Clint Kubiak, that is, is he's mixing in a lot more interesting stuff. The, he's working off of Kirk's confidence and – the, the skills of each of the individual players to get them involved in different ways. Uh, the offensive line playing better makes all the difference in the world because all the playbook is, you know, is opened up to you versus in that week one against the Bengals where you just, you, you can't run your offense when you're facing third and 10 every single time. Um, and so I think the Not third and 10, third and 40, you know, whatever. Yeah. It, it, and they almost won the game. Yeah. So when the offensive line is playing well, um, it allows Kirk's accuracy to really shine, which allows you to run, you know, have a more balanced offense, play that complimentary football, which opens up the playbook a lot more. So it all stems, you know, going back to that offensive line. And I, I mean, honestly, I think Kirk's ability to improvise, going back to your point, still, I, I think it's when you have confidence in your offensive linemen you get that, you know, that swagger and that you trust your instincts more versus constantly thinking about, Oh God, you know, where am I going to be hit next? Um, and, and sort of hit decision paralysis, which has been a uh, concern about uh, Kirk, you know, holding onto the ball too much in the pocket. But I think it's just, I, I, I don't have 
confidence in my line. And so now I don't know what to do with it. And that's one thing I really want to give Kubiak credit for Clint Kubiak. That is they're getting the ball out of Kirk's hands a lot faster the last couple of weeks. I think someone was talking about average, like 2.7 seconds or something like that. And that's really playing to his strength, making it easier on the offensive line and really opening things up for this offense to, um, you know, play well. I absolutely love it. And part of me just as a competitor, I just love when people prove people wrong and whether it's people in our own fan base or certainly the NFL at large, people do not have faith in Kirk Cousins to do it at a high level, certainly long way to go for that to happen um, and, and to win in the playoffs at a high level. Cause that's really what it comes down to. That's what we got him for. But uh, I hope he just keeps doing it week after week. It's awesome. It's, it's, it's better every week, every win he can get uh, it's better each and every uh every week um, wanted to wanted to get into Breland a little more because this was, this was something I was talking about with the people next to me at the game. And certainly we were wondering why Dantzler wasn't on the field. Um, I like, like Jack said in our interview, there's a lot that we may not know about that's going on behind the scenes because um, he actually did play a little bit against Arizona and looked good. And there were some questions, is he even going to start? Uh, Breland got a little nicked up, ended up, you know, participating in practice all week. He was limited a couple days, but, you know, he was fine for the game. But, uh, you know, the only good thing Bashad Breland's really done is he's helped a little bit in the run game. And then he's forced a couple fumbles, one that got negated. Uh, but that was a really nice hit on, on Tyler Lockett. And um, Lockett looked like he was seriously hurt there. Luckily, he was okay. Uh, but that's a big, big issue. And, and I think it becomes bigger and bigger as the season goes along because Patrick Peterson's played pretty well. And, it, it, I mean, Hopkins did not do much after that first touchdown. DK started out well, but then, you know, the pass rush and Peterson combined that. They did a good job containing him. But I'm telling you, these good quarterbacks and these good offensive coordinators, when they have a weak spot, they're just going to pick you, pick it out. And, uh, and we've seen the Vikings do it to, to other teams with J.J. or Phelan or both. It's a big, big issue. I almost wish we could have that fourth-round pick back right now. And Chris Herndon hasn't done much so far. Maybe he will. But I almost think there may not be any solution other than a trade at this point with a team that doesn't look like they're going to contend because the situation with Dantzler, it's too unpredictable. Yes. That, so uh, we mentioned, uh, or Jack mentioned Nick Olson earlier. He had a great tweet that was a snapshot of the Vikings, you know, grades and rankings through three weeks of the NFL, you know, with their PFF and overall the team's doing pretty well. There are three clear spots that stand out, you know, it's Rashad Hill at left tackle. Uh, it's DJ Wanham uh, at the D end position, but far and away, the biggest bright red spot is Rashad Breland. He's 108th out of 108th on quarterbacks, you know, and you look, you talk, you mentioned Peterson, he's 61st out of 108, you know, and, and is performing much better, um, you know, and tending to guard the, you know, the better receiver too for yeah. uh, other teams. So they, they have to figure this out. 
I don't know what the deal is with Danzler, but they, you know, the tweet didn't help, but they either need to figure out that relationship because he's clearly can't be worse than Breland on the field and get him not in coverage, not in coverage, but, but he's got to do more than just cover. Oh, totally agree. But uh, I'd say on everything, he can't be worse than Breland right now because you know, you want to perform. He obviously has experience, uh, but he's, he's just not getting the job done. And I'm with you that if they can't figure out the relationship issue with Danzler, then they need to unload Danzler um, and they need to find a way to go out and get a different quarter cornerback to fill that second cornerback slot, because it is the clear bright red issue right now. And um, I know we'll get in a little bit. I do agree with you, you know, the, the back and forth that you have with Jack about how Barr will help straighten out the run game. That's where his biggest strength is um, to the team. And that, that should make the defense perform better. Um, but if you don't fix Breland, the pressure on Kirk is going to be so immense. Uh, Courtney Cronin was on um, uh, Guerrero this afternoon and talked about He's great. right now. What's that? She is really good. Oh, she's, oh yeah, she's great. Yeah. And she, she, she talked about the reality is right now is that the offense has to win these games. This is not Mike Zimmer's you know, defense of 2017 where the defense can carry you. And they certainly you know, can't do that as long as Breland is starting in that position. That much is, is clear. And um, you know, so that's where they've got to do something. Otherwise, the pressure on the offense is going to be so immense to produce and score touchdowns every single time. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, you're going to face a really good defense. You're going to run into a really good road team. You're going to have some bounces not go your way. Let's be honest. The bounces went the Vikings way. They didn't the first two weeks, but they did against Seattle. The fumble by Kirk bounces right into his hands. The, 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 the uh, breakup of the pass by Harrison Smith in the end zone. He's a second earlier. That's pass interference. He's a second late. That's a touchdown. So um, the, the bounces went the Vikings way for the most part in that game. And, and when you're playing a good team, when it's two good teams playing, um, you know, you got to get a little luck to go your way. Uh, just ask the Green Bay Packers. Oh, my God. Don't get me started on that game because they should be one and two, no doubt. Um, and the Vikings should be two and one or, or, or three and out. Oh. So you hope that evens out over the course of the year. I will say a couple things that don't make me want to like totally jump ship with Breland. One would be corners sometimes have a tough time adjusting to Mike Zimmer's system. And, and we've seen that with rookie corners. We've seen that with others he's brought in, but just look at, I mean, Xavier Rhodes for a couple of years was one of the top three corners in football. He wasn't that way when he, when Mike Zimmer, he, he Zim came in Rhodes his second year and it took him a while. Trey Waynes was, became a very solid coverage corner and very good in the run game. He didn't even start his rookie. Year. So yeah, Bashad has been around and, and he's had his ups and downs. We talked with Robbie about it a couple of weeks ago. Um, He's had his ups and downs, but, and there's a reason he was available, but he also intercepted a pass in the Super Bowl. Like, let's, let's see what happens with this defense. And it kind of reminds me of 2018, where remember 
They're coming off the NFC title game loss. And Zim's like, we got to change up a bunch of things. We got to change all these things. And that led to Anthony Barr being on Cooper Cup, like, like Jack Day was talking about. And after week four, they had like a, a mini buy and he fixed some things. And for the rest of that season, and, and that saved the season to the point where they had a game against the Chicago Bears to get into the playoffs. In 2019, the defense got better throughout the year as well. And in the playoffs against Drew Brees, Zimmer put Daniil and Everson inside and totally mystified the New Orleans Saints in a Hall of Fame QB and a Hall of Fame coach. So let's just, let's just give it a little bit of time. I agree with you right now, and I, I agree with what Courtney was saying. I didn't hear it, but, you know, I get the gist that right now the offense has to carry this team. But let's see what happens when Anthony Barr gets back, who they say, not only the people who cover the team say, they say, and they show with the money they pay him how important they think he is. So, and I, and that was my other point. So I think Breland might just get better in the Zim system. Even if he doesn't, the run game helps. The run game defense helps everybody if it improves. Because then you get into Zimmer, uh, into Zimmer's hot zone. And Zimmer's hot zone is third and five or more. And they were, they were top 10 in third down defense last year with the scrubs they were putting on the field because of all the injuries last year. So let's just see. I think the second half against Seattle was a great example of it. When they can play complementary football, and this has to do with the offense too. I mean, Zim loves to play that complementary football. And that drive to open the second half sealed the game, essentially, and helped the defense tremendously. Because when they're up and then they can get into third down and they take away the run game, that's when Zimmer thrives. And we see he's still very, very good at it. And it's just going to keep getting better, I think, as long as they can stop the run. This week is a massive, massive test of that of that run defense because you don't stop the run. Kevin Stefanski will keep going at you and then he'll go play action to Odell or to, or to Jarvis Landry, and the game could be over by halftime if your offense can't keep up. So that run defense better be good for the jump this Sunday. Yeah, it's uh, this week is going to be a really good test. Of, they've played, you know, two, you know, a, a half in essentially three games of great defense, and then a half in three games – of not good defense and can the defense put a full game together of playing well and cohesively. I I get your call for patience um, and the transition in Zimmer's system. But I mean, the reality is, is Zimmer and Spielman have to get it done this year. I don't know that they have time to wait. Um, Otherwise people are going to be ready to move on. This is a, this is the year, a make or break year for cousins for Spielman, for Zimmer, and you you can't really waste the opportunity hoping that Breland, you know, just needs four games. No, no, no. So, yeah. so I, you, maybe you can give him one more game, but uh, – Well, it's gotta... a con- – yeah, no, it's a, it's a concern. I, I think we'll give him one more game if necessary. I mean, I think ideally you fix the Stansler situation right now 
And I know it, it really does not send a great message when you tweet that and then put the guy on the field. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, I will say they did. They did. Everson Griffin tweeted a bunch of stuff about Kirk, and then it didn't stop them from going and yeah. signing him. So you know, there's yeah. there is precedent here. There is, but Everson Griffin has a little more clout than Cameron Dantzler. A B. He didn't do that when he was on the team. Um, <laughs> and I could go down the list. Uh, Everson Griffin gets a little more leeway than Cameron Dantzler, but the only but having said that. Because of the desperation they're in at corner, that might get him more leeway. And because of the fact that he had a good season last year. But what's disappointing is, and this just shows the mental side of the game, he clearly rested on his laurels at least a little bit. After last season, he might have believed that he was really good. And I don't know what he did this offseason, but I can tell you one thing. His training camp was bad. His training camp was crap, which is why he got beat out. And, and maybe even why they were considering bringing Breland in in the first place. So I think regardless, you have to explore trade and you have to do it now. Screw totally. the draft picks. I mean, like you said, I, I'm, I'm more of a Zimmer and Spielman fan than most, but I think I'd be naive to think that they're not on the hot seat for this year. So Throw caution to the wind. And if you need to give up a third rounder or a second rounder to go get a corner on a – did that Miami guy ever get traded? I don't know. I don't think he did. Yeah. I mean, I'd inquire about him right now. Miami sucks. So Well, and, and I, the reality I'd, is – I'd, I'd, I'd be doing my homework right now because that kind of thing can derail the season. And, by the way, it can derail you even more in the, in the postseason. When game planning goes up to another level and they are going to find your weakness, they're going to watch the entire season. And they're going to, if you have a glaring weakness like that, they are going to attack, attack, attack. And if you're in the postseason, as I think they will be, you're not facing any slouch quarterbacks. You're facing the upper echelon quarterbacks who they just beat this week. But you, you, have, a, you have a liability like that. They will pick it out time and time again. With, yeah, to your point, uh, quickly is you know you need more depth at cornerback anyway and more talent at cornerback regardless of whether Breland turns it around um especially with the way Sean McVay and Matt Stafford are clicking together right now uh you know you already saw someone in Kyler Murray who's just going to continue to get better Dak looks to be healthy and they look to be way more dangerous and way better after last night I know the Eagles are probably garbage um but, I mean, it could be that this Seattle team with their defense, that they're not really that good. So, like, you know, as well as we performed here, it could be that, you know, their cornerbacks are not good. And uh, the teams that you're really going to face later this year and, and need to do well are going to throw a lot more at you from an offensive firepower standpoint. And your offense isn't going to be able to just tear them apart um, as efficiently. So, uh, yeah. I, I think they need to do something to fix that. Uh, and then, uh, you know, as Jack was saying, we just hope that Derisaw can get on the field and be an upgrade as well for, um, uh, you know, at the left tackle position. Yeah. Um, couple, couple last things. And we kind of already touched on the Browns a little bit. And if you want to talk more about that, that's cool. I did want to touch on the Green Bay game because this really pissed me off. This, this was unbelievable. So we're thinking it's going to be a perfect day, you know, 
not that the Lions really matter, but Justin Tucker makes a 60, what was it, 68 yards? 66. 66 yards. NFL record bounces off the crossbar. And, and then you texted me, would you, or I think you tweeted, would, should the Vikings, if they could, would you trade a third rounder right now? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What what no. would you be willing to as a side note before what would you be willing to give up to get Justin Tucker as the kicker right now? But putting aside great if Justin, I could get him right now, because I think this team's really good. If I could get him, uh, I don't know. I'd like to make another couple more improvements, but if I could get him right now, I'd for sure give him a third. And, and maybe more. Maybe more. Because because this team's this team is very talented. Um, and the quarterback is slinging it right now. Um, here's the thing with, uh, with Green Bay. <laughs> when you can get a loss potentially on the, with, with Rodgers and the fact that they've gone 13 and three, two straight years, and now you have the extra game, um, they're not going to lose very many games. And that's a game. Now, I thought they would beat New Orleans, especially when the game got moved to Jacksonville and, and Jameis Winston's back, you know, starting again. So I, I thought I thought they would beat New Orleans. They didn't. They got killed. But I did think they'd lose to San Francisco when the schedule came out and before this game this week. And then they fall. They go ahead 17 nothing. Then I I'm like, okay, my hopes are done. Green Bay's going to win. San Francisco <laughs> comes back in valiant fashion. Jimmy Garoppolo does some good things. Now he does some bad things like that fumble. Uh, in the fourth quarter was just, just awful. And that looked like it was going to be the game, but there's a, reason, then, there's a reason Kyle Shanahan wanted Kirk cousins. Cause he so badly rather Kyle Shanahan he, had he Kirk cousins. Yeah. They might be the super. Well, first of all, they probably would have won the super bowl and Kirk went to overthrown that, that dude, but who knows, who knows? But I, I think he would like Kirk cousins again, but you know, long story longer. <laughs> They, they, Green Bay, Green Bay just allows this unbelievable drive by Garoppolo in the fourth quarter. Just first down, first down, first down. They need a touchdown. Kyle Juszczyk, who's a stone cold stud. I mean, that guy is unbelievable. CJ Ham's good, but man, that guy is the best fullback in football. And he just barrels over a couple Packers at the three yard line and falls in. And I was watching it with my dad, and I said to him right there, I was like, they, the Packers just got a huge break. And the Packers weren't trying to let him in because it wasn't really one of those plays where you, you can do that. I mean, it, it wasn't like they had it at the one and they just let him in. No, they couldn't tackle him, as a lot of teams can. If they had tackled him, San Francisco likely runs it down and they win the game, as long as they can punch it in from, from a yard out. And then, then, Green Bay gets the ball back, no timeouts, like 38 seconds. And San Francisco's playing, and they need a, they're down one. Green Bay's down one. And San Francisco's playing as if, as if Green Bay needed a touchdown. They're leaving the middle of the field wide open. You can do that if they had 15 seconds, not nearly 40 seconds. And Mason Crosby's damn good. He's going to make it from 50 plus. You know, it, unbelievable, unbelievable choke job by San Francisco with that horrendous defense on that, on that final drive. Yeah, tip your hat to Rodgers, tip your hat to Crosby. Um, some of those throws were cold-blooded, but some of those receivers also were wide 
open in the middle of the field. And that was way too easy. I'm sorry. I don't care if it's Aaron Rodgers. That was too easy. No pressure on him. The final drive. And uh, the Packers continue, uh, continue to get very, very lucky. Yeah, that uh, you're really pulling for that loss there. You, um, it's the type of thing that I know it's early in the season, but like you said, you know Green Bay is going to be firing on all cylinders at some point, uh, unless the whole team implodes um, in some way from drama. But you don't see that happening. Um, they're not the Bears, uh, who are just obviously a complete disaster. But it it really. Um, we're going to need them to lose some of those games, um, you know, and just like we're going to, you know, we already, you know, lost a game that we should have won uh, in the Bengals when you looked at the schedule. And now they're going to be some of those, but we're going to have to win some games that we otherwise didn't expect to win on paper. And we're probably going to need them to lose some uh, because they're just going to be so good and tough to beat. And so that's one of those you're going to look back on and say, man, um, you know, don't don't give Aaron Rodgers 38 seconds to still, you know, march down the field and get a, a field goal. And certainly if you're going to, you got to you got to play tighter coverage there. You can't be running what looks like a prevent defense. Um, totally agree. So it was a, a, a little sting at the end of an otherwise, um, you know, great victory, great weekend. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'll, I'll say this. Um, I'll say this. Actually, I forgot what I was just about to say. <laughs> I forgot what I was going to say. Um, anyway, we'll, we'll move on. Uh, last, last topic, unless you wanted to bring something up. Um, th- this was, we, we got into it a little bit when I was at the game and you, you were watching. You were very, very antsy at the beginning of the game. I, I, I was a little bit too. But uh, you were ready to call for the head coach to, uh, to be fired after week three. If they were to lose that game, obviously it did not come to that, and they they turned it around very quickly. But uh, I'll let you I'll let you have the floor. Uh, why why? Luckily, we're not talking about an 0 three team. But if we were, why would you be talking about uh, wanting Zimmer? Yes, thankfully we're not there, and they turned it around. In and they did it not only because Kurt was playing great, but because uh, or Kirk was playing great, but uh, that because uh, the defense really shut down uh, the Seahawks in the second half with the limited number of possessions they had. Uh, But after the first quarter, I was irate because Zimmer's a defensive guy. He's that's supposed to be his bread and butter. And people keep throwing Kirk under the bus and trying to say that, you know, he's not doing enough and all of that. And Zimmer has contributed to some of that but Kirk has been doing everything this year. And so the idea of having a third game where you might lose to start off the season, even though it's early because the defense can't get their act together, Zimmer's baby, and they're being torn apart by Russell Wilson. And you're looking at an even tougher game, you know, against the Browns coming up to me, it it would signify that, that Zimmer's lost control even of what he's supposed to be doing. They spent all this money on free agency on defense to try and fix the problem. And he didn't do it. And at this, at that point, you at 0 and three would be really in almost an impossible hole, Uh, not impossible, but a very difficult hole to climb out of 
wasting Kirk's great season that to me, you, it would require a desperate move. And the only thing at that point is to pull the plug on Zimmer, because if you're Spielman, your, your job is on the line and that's getting a new voice in there to try and shake it up. Um, you know, when it comes to the defense now that's reactionary, admittedly, I'm not the only one though, that felt that way after the first quarter. And it's why you don't make decisions after one quarter, but if their defense kept playing like they did in the first quarter and they lose a, sh- a high powered shootout for their home opener with Kirk playing like an MVP, all because of Mike Zimmer's defense, despite all the money we spent on that team, he should have been fired. I maintain that, but thankfully it yeah. didn't come to that. You're not the only one who thought that and you're not the only one who was wrong. <laughs> as, as I informed you. Um, but luckily it did turn around. By the end of our arguments, um, I think the Vikings had a halftime lead and uh, I felt very good. Uh, Kirk, Kirk, when he, all the time he's been here, he's, he's talked about the importance of double dipping. And what does that mean? It means you score going into the locker room and you score coming out. Now you can only do that if you, you get the ball right out of the locker room. But the Vikings won the toss, they smartly deferred. Uh, even though Seattle went down and scored right away, that was that was the right move at home with the, the frenzied home crowd. I think maybe it might not be the right move this week, but we can talk about that uh, some other time. So I so think, that question. Yeah. Quick, quick question: Have every? I'm trying to remember. Have has every team we played so far scored on the first possession? Uh, I don't think Cincinnati did. They didn't. Okay, I couldn't. Remember. Uh, I don't think Cincinnati did. Uh, Arizona did but we had already scored. Yeah. So, you know, because yeah. my point with that is, is that they really got to figure out, I mean, their defense has looked bad um, or certainly looked bad against Seattle on the first. Yeah. Drive. Yeah. But so, that's, that's tough though. And I'll say this uh, Zimmer Zimmer during his time, Zimmer during his time here. Um, I don't know, like home games. It seems like he would, he would get three and outs to start games. But um, he's had times, even, even when the defense was at its elite level in 15 and 17, where they gave up some points early and then it was locked down. I mean, it was kind of very similar to what we saw um, in the second half. Uh, it was a very typical Zimmer, too many, too many breakdowns in the play action um, but, and in coverage. But in terms of, like, giving up points, I think it was kind of typical Zimmer. Um, this, I remember what I was going to say, which I'll touch on in a minute. But here's why, A, it, here's why I think, um, respectfully, you were wrong on that. A, um, it's called a desperation move for a reason. It's desperation. And most desperation moves don't work. <laughs> That's why they're called desperation moves. Secondly, Zimmer, I just don't think you fixed the defense. And again, this is all hypothetical because the Vikings won. I don't think you would have fixed an 0-3 defense by firing the guy whose defense it is and it's called the plays. It's not like somebody else is calling the plays and he's just the head coach. No, he calls the plays. So who's going to call the plays? His son, after you fire his dad, Andre Patterson, who's a great coach but has never called plays. Uh, those would be the only two options uh, as, uh, unless you're going to have, like, the cornerbacks coach calling play- like. That would have been to me, and and teams sometimes respond to a desperate move. I don't think a veteran team like this team is with high expectations responds to a move like that whatsoever. I think that would have been 
a move where you're just, you're just like rip the cord out and you're just like, and it goes really downhill very fast after something like that. He's, um, you know, like him or not, he's, his players love him um, for the, for the most part, like players who played for him in Cincinnati, Dallas, talk to Deion Sanders about what Mike Zimmer did for his career. Talk to Xavier Rhodes, talk to Everson Griffin, talk to Daniel Hunter, um, talk to Anthony Barr and Eric Hendricks. The list goes on. And, and some of the credit goes to Spielman for drafting those guys, but Zimmer knows what he's doing. And, and you stop the run and mark my words, this defense will get dramatically better. That's what they need to do. Um, and, and whether they're trying some things here early, kind of like they did in 18, and if we go back to fundamentals, whatever it is, they got to do what's necessary to stop the run this week. This week, to me, is a huge, huge litmus test because if they win this game, look who they have coming up. Detroit at home. And the, who, who almost beat Baltimore, but that was in Detroit. That should be a game you handle. And then, and then at Carolina, who's, who's started the season well, but that's another game you should win heading into your bye. You win this, you could be four and two at your bye. And the 0 and 2 start seems like five years ago. So it is a, it is a massive game. And, and I'm happy that, that uh, Mike Zimmer will be coordinating it against Stefanski. What a matchup that is. Wow. It's going to be fun, a fun chess match to watch given obviously the history and they're obviously both uh, their strengths are on opposite sides of the ball. And so to see that, uh, that back and forth is going to just be fascinating. Um, you know, I, there are in both cases, there's a lot of talent on both the offensive side in Cleveland and the defensive side in Minnesota on paper, but neither one of them necessarily completely plays, uh, you know, has been playing up to their fullest potential yet. Um, but really, I mean, th- to me, this is about does Kirk go and keep playing like he's playing? Because um, if he goes and play, you know, I, I want to take have faith like you have that the defense is only going to get better. Um, you know, getting bar back is going to make things better, that they're that they are going to do better against the run, that they are going to figure out the Dan Zabreland situation where at least it can be middle of the pack rather than, you know, in the bottom five of the league. Um, But if Kirk keeps playing like he's playing, um, you know, and the offensive line can keep getting better like they have and can try and stop Miles Garrett to, you know, do enough to stop him, that our offense is going to put up enough points and the defense will do enough to keep uh, others in check and, and, and keep them confused uh, to win a, a, a decent number of games or at least get into the playoffs. Yeah, Kirk plays like he's playing there in every game, period, no matter how bad the defense is. They, they can shoot out with any team when Kirk's playing like this. And by the way, Dalvin Cook didn't even play. Alexander, we haven't even mentioned Alexander Madison. Kudos to him, by the way. Great game. But yeah, all due respect – Dalvin Cook has over 200 all-purpose yards in that game. There were some, there were some lanes missed in the, in the passing game in particular. Um, and just the explosiveness of Dalvin, you, you just don't get. But I love how Madison just runs over people. He's fearless. He's awesome uh, as, a, as a backup to have. And whenever he's done with his rookie deal here, he's going to go start somewhere probably. Um, that's, just, that's just the way it goes. The Vikings have done a fabulous job drafting uh, running backs under Rick Spielman. 
and 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 how about some a, a tip of the cap to Spielman? Are we allowed to say nice pick on Oli Udo late in the draft, a developmental offensive lineman worked out? Nice pick on Brian O'Neill, who just recently got extended. You know, and you know what? As much crap as Rashad Hill takes, thank God he's here because who else would be playing right now? Like he's a good swing tackle to have. Uh, Cleveland has played great the last two weeks. Bradbury, I saw him like 20 yards down the field one time on a screen. This, this, I mean, he's great in the screen, great in the run game. Needs to get a little stronger, not getting bull rushed. But, you know, maybe he comes to fruition here in, in year three, solid two games in a row. I mean, this whole line's coming together nicely. And you see what Kirk does when, when the O-line plays well. I think, quickly, two last points. One. For this week, you, you touched on some important things. Yes, Kirk continuing to dominate big. I think the other key things are not Miles Garrett, and I may live to regret those words, but I think more Jadevian Clowney in the run game. In the run game. Think of what think what Akeem Hicks did to the middle of our O-line time after time after time. And Dalvin's inability, not an ability, just unable to just, just frankly, had no chance to run against the Chicago Bears when Akeem Hicks and Eddie Goldman were playing the way they were at Khalil Mack. I mean, it was just impossible. And then you see what that does to the Vikings' offense whenever the running back, whether it's Dalvin or Madison, can't run the ball. Now, the way Kirk's playing may be able to overcome some of that, but this offense hinges on Dalvin Cook still. And so they got to control Clowney in the run game. And then I think turnovers. Kirk has not thrown an interception in nearly 200 pass attempts. Uh, almost lost a fumble, uh, but they need to win the take give in a game where there's going to be a lot of complimentary football. Stefanski likes to play a lot of the same way Zimmer does. Uh, field position, time for possession, but turnovers. Baker Mayfield will give you the ball. He will give you the ball. He's improved a lot but you put some pressure on him as they did week one in Kansas city. And you saw the former Viking Mike Hughes have one thrown right to him to end the game. You put pressure on Baker. He will give you the ball and Daniil Hunter and Everson Griffin and the rest of that pass rush, Michael Pierce, even rushing up the middle. They need to make his life a living hell. Uh, and, and I think, I think they're being good in good shape. So what's your final, uh, let's do final predictions for the uh, game this week. I, I was thinking about this. I, cause you love to ask these predictions. I, I think uh, I will predict them to lose eventually, but not this week, not, not at home. Um, not, I still think there, a lot of times you, you just see in a game like this toss up game, who's the more desperate team. I think the Vikings are a little more desperate, although Cleveland wants that top seed because they don't want to have to go to like Kansas city or LA in the playoffs, they're, they're fine. They'll be motivated with Stefanski coming back. But I think, I think the Vikings win a, another high scoring one. I'll go uh, 30, 27, maybe Greg Joseph for the win. Oh, but that's a bold prediction there. Maybe, uh, but, maybe. Well, it'd be a night. Nice, uh, that'd be a nice, uh, uh, a nice thing for him uh, and for the team to, to win a game like that, obviously, after uh, week two. Uh, 
surprisingly, I'm going to pick the Vikings uh, again for the second week in a row. I agree that they're more desperate. I think that they're clicking. Uh, I think that they're going to figure some things out um, and, and keep the momentum going from this, this great victory. Uh, I'm going to go Vikings 35 uh, Cleveland 24. I, oh, another big win. You you were right. I, you were kind of had the margin. Right I was I was pretty dead on, and uh, yeah. you know I, I'm going that the Vikings can put a few more in the end zone rather than having to do field goals this week. I think Cleveland is better offensively than Seattle, and will score a little bit more. Uh, but I think, like you said, I think they're going to figure out some stuff on the defensive end, cause a few more turnovers. Yes, um, and that, that'll be the. I you know I feel like it'll be like a. 28 24 type of game and then we you know we find a way to you know to pad that cushion at the Cleveland's very Cleveland's uh better offensively but Russell's better than Baker um yeah. oh, and, okay. and and Baker gets more flustered and frustrated um so you again hit his ass pressure him and let's go I mean let, let's let's go this would be a huge win get back to two and two and then and then let's go. Let's start stacking them up. I, I remembered my point. I was going before we log off. My point was about both the Vikings and Packers schedules. After the Vikings bye, both teams kind of have, aside from this Browns game, both teams have a fairly soft next month, I would say, if you look at it. Um, and you can go look at yourself. Like Green Bay's got Pittsburgh this week, I believe. Um, who's playing just terrible football uh, right now and can't score. Um, and that game's in Green Bay. But then they go to Cincinnati, so we'll, we'll see. You know, Cincinnati's proven to be tougher out than, than we thought, as the Vikings know. But both teams have an incredibly difficult stretch. You can go look at the Packers one yourself, but how about this Vikings one in the middle of the season when they go at Baltimore, at the Chargers, so Baltimore one coast, then Chargers in L.A., then they're back here for Green Bay. Then they go to San Francisco. And then their fourth road game in five weeks is at Detroit. Circle that game because when you play your fourth road game in five weeks, I don't care who you're playing. When you're jetting off from coast to coast and, and playing the caliber of teams they are, I mean, that Detroit game is not going to be easy. Um, and and so and Green Bay has a similar type of type of uh challenging slate i mean big time i mean just a gauntlet of games including two against the vikings in that stretch uh where they have like 10 games in a row and i think nine of them are going to be really really tough and the the ones that aren't that i looked at was like maybe the bears but you never know the bears packers so and maybe fields is playing better by that point so um boy this as i said at the beginning of the season the winner of this division could win it with an 11 and six record. Um, and I would not be shocked by that at all. Yeah. Uh, the division overall is looking weaker than uh, you even thought at the beginning. You didn't think the bears or lions were going to be that great, but I mean, the bears are imploding the lions uh, while they played inspired uh, last week, it was a classic trap game. Um, so really, I mean, it's, it's going to come down to these, you know, common opponents and who can hold serve at home. And um, obviously the, the showdowns with green Bay and, and, and taking care of business against Chicago and Detroit are, uh, is probably going to determine whether you win the division or not. 
Yep, should be fun to watch. And now uh, we finally have a victory to talk about. That's why we went extra long today. So I uh, hope you enjoyed that uh, extra long podcast. I know you enjoyed Jack Day if you didn't enjoy our banter. Um, he probably made up for it um, with his outstanding analysis. We will be back next week um, with a, a brand new episode and hopefully talking about a two and two Minnesota Vikings team. Stefanski Zimmer. Stefanski who was here for about 15 years. What a story working his way up from the intern to the offensive coordinator and then getting that big job with the Cleveland Browns. So Vikings Browns noon Sunday. And I uh, hope you tune into this beforehand and uh, we will talk to you next week for Matt Gallivan. I'm Marshall Kellner. See ya.